Hello and welcome to Finding the Glitter in the Gold, a Lord of the Rings Middle Earth chat podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Zoe. And I'm Kimberly. Yes, we have a guest with us today uh, for a very special episode where we are going to be talking about, as always, the works of John Ronald Rayul Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, and his Middle Earth universe. But this one, we are going to go beyond this and talk about uh, some of the things that his works inspired and how those are I will say extremely complicated and um, worthy of criticism now uh, with regards to his depictions of orcs, which uh, I am a huge fan of orcs personally. I come at it from a D&D background uh, where I just really think that orcs and half orcs are really fun to play. But we found some uh, articles here written by a guy named James Mendez Hodes, who uh, broke down the history of orcs and just how Tolkien came about depicting these people and how he pictured them and how that was a uh, pretty freaking racist. And then how that has changed and morphed over time and moved into different spaces and influenced a lot of nerd culture and fantasy culture and gaming culture. And Kimberly actually comes at it from uh, LARPing. Do you want to talk about that at all, Kimberly? Yeah. So um, I've been doing live action role playing, commonly known as LARPing, for I want to say about maybe four or five years now. Orcs definitely play a role in a number of LARP games, um, just as they play a pretty heavy role in D&D campaigns. Um, and so, yeah, the effects of, or the role of Lord of the Rings and its depictions of orcs definitely flows into all sorts of geekdom and nerdum games that, that use them. Yeah. And so this, this article that I'm uh, basing sort of the beginning of this podcast on is uh, a two-part series called Orcs, Britons, and the Martial Race Myth. I highly recommend looking it up. I'll include it in the show notes, the link to it, because it's extremely well-written and well-researched and uh, breaks down a lot of things extremely well. And the guy himself reads it out loud, so it's um, accessible to people who maybe don't want to spend all the time looking at their screen. You can listen to it like it's just a podcast too. Um, but I, I wanted to start with how orcs were originally described by Tolkien, not in the books, but in a letter that he wrote, letter 210-210, uh, where it says, quote, the orcs are definitely stated to be corruptions of the human form seen in elves and men. They are, or were, squat, broad, flat-nosed, sallow-skinned, with wide mouths and slant eyes. In fact, degraded and repulsive versions of the two Europeans, least lovely Mongol types. And Mendez here says, cool, that is from his letter to 10. And he just described me and all my relatives on my mom's side. Why would he say that? And this was, I mean, interesting to me because I'd never read a description of orcs before. I've only seen the movies as we know. And it was just very stark to to have it put out in these terms. Um, and Mendez goes on to describe the history of where Tolkien's coming from with regards to thinking of orcs as kind of Mongolian featured or Asian featured. And it started with the fear of the Huns, kind of. Throughout European history, there was uh, periods of time where people from Mongolia or the steppes would sweep through and um, conquer a lot of land. Um, so there was the, the attack on the Holy Roman Empire under Attila the Hun. And then in the 13th century CE, there was a um, attack from Genghis Khan as well. And these people were just like really good at military culture. They had horses and knew how to use them. They would learn from every culture that they conquered and um, develop their technology accordingly. And um, they didn't really care about assimilation so much. So they were very open to like learning new things from different cultures and um, like taking bits and pieces of kind of the best of what another culture had. Like they learned about trebuchets, they learned about um, constructing, Oh man, like those 
one of those things, there's like towers that you can like roll along and uh, attack over walls and stuff. They learned about all these kind of things and used oh, the them. Oh, the siege towers. Siege towers, yeah. So they, they had all of these and it became a, a stereotype that these Asian people were very warlike. And this is where we get the myth of a race that is inherently martial and like they're just always going to be warlike and they have an inherent violence in their culture and like very good tacticians and strategizing, but it's all used for attacks. It's kind of just a, a very one dimensional picture of a civilization. And this is what Tolkien was born into basically. It had started to be twisted a bit by then. Um, and instead there was more of a, what was called the yellow peril, which was again, a very racist depiction of people from China and Japan and the Philippines. And so it was a, a shifting of the depictions of these people then. Mendez goes into more detail about where Tolkien was coming from about um, his, his depictions of orcs and, I don't know, his kind of prejudices and biases there. Um, and then in the second part of that article series, and, and Zoe and I have talked about this a little bit, about how his image of hobbits was based on the English soldier. Um, we talked about how Samwise was uh, like the, what were they? The Batman. Yeah, it was the, the Batman thing. They were made small of stature to emphasize the amazing and unexpected heroism of ordinary men in a pinch. And the way that they were intended to depict English soldiers was the point. Mendez makes the point that Lord of the Rings is about European heroism and Asian villainy. But there has been a shift recently in the way that works are described and depicted in works that were influenced by Tolkien. So his races that he created in Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings were the hobbits, the the hobbits, the dwarves, the elves, humans, orcs, and those have continued in fantasy stories. And um, I want to talk about it later with uh, Terry Pratchett and how he satirized it. But in this episode, we're just sticking with orcs. They have shown up in things like D&D, where you can play Originally, in the player's handbook, you can play a half-orc, and you can, orc is not a playable race. It is exclusively a villain race. And the way that people today have viewed orcs has started to shift away from this, I don't know, Mon Mongolian-based image of orcs. I mean, they, they stick with the aggressive and they're menacing. They have proficiency in intimidation. They have racial bonuses to strength if you play an orc or a half orc, that kind of thing. There's also, there's a, a paragraph in this that I think kind of mm -hmm. sums this up in some ways where Mendes says, so orcs are degenerate corruptions of the OG elves, kind of like how Mongoloids, Negroids, and other people of color are corrupt degenerate versions of the noble white Caucasoids whom they resent. Uh, now that description of orcs, which starts this speech, which comes from Tolkien's letter number 210, makes more sense. When he writes Mongol types, he straight up tells us he made the Mongol terror and the Mongoloid stereotype into an entire species. Further vis visual descriptions of orcs throughout Tolkien's oeuvre match letter number 210s, although he also likes to mention how black, dark, or swart they are all terms applied to Indians in Tolkien's time, as well as Africans. He also refers to orc breeds, uh, animal attributes like claws, yellow fangs, dragon knuckles, or porcine senses of smell. So in this one paragraph, it summed up the entire, how this one species has come to represent any race that is not Caucasian. Yes. And that comes through in works that are based on Tolkien, such as most of the RPG gaming systems that's written in RPG systems. Um, and then things like live action role-playing as well, um, which I know less about, but Kimberly, you know about this. Yeah. I was, um, something that really interesting when you were saying um, about this, this whole creation and, and ideology that there is an inherently warlike culture of person and how the Europeans really viewed Asian cultures 
with with this element of of being inherently warlike and it's really fascinating when you look and when you put that into the context of the u.s and historically you know if you were to think of what culture we attribute as as inherently violent and warlike you end up looking at um the the things that white America has has placed on as inherently black or African American, and so I it's really fascinating to think of in terms of gaming systems, um, like you were saying, you know, with flat nose, um, and and all these features that that are also very similar to um, traditional African features, and how that just kind of like translates over, you know, in Europe, it's you who's your enemy, as as they were saying, who's your inherent enemy, it's the east and and these asian cultures and then the u.s who's your enemy it's the it's the blacks it's the african-americans and and so it's really fascinating how that just kind of like slides in depending on your cultural context of of who which type of white supremacy is in charge absolutely i see an argument go around sometimes where um people are talking about how things in fiction don't influence things in reality and oh but they do <laughs> oh man <laughs> Well, there, there's like two parts to it. And it's like, oh, video games cause violence because you're acting that out. And I'm like, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Letting people indulge in particularly violent fantasies and desensitization. I'm like, maybe that's pretty bad. But people are like, oh, it's just a fantasy game. And like, it's a fantasy race and they're not real. And Mendez makes the point that um, when you're playing games, you are deciding who is a person and who isn't in these sorts of games when you have like a, a setup martial race enemy then it's convenient for the dm to not have to make any characters or build any story with these people and that is extremely reductive and also makes them not people if you've decided that the whole race isn't worth exploring except as an enemy it's an erasure essentially yeah and it's limiting and it's uh i mean i find it kind of lazy well i think from a player standpoint it's also you know that whole argument that it's just fantasy it's it's all made up could be true if the things that you're making up have no bearing on reality for you but when you have these characters that um, have all these racist overtones or subtleties, um, and you're a player of color, all of a sudden it's, it doesn't get to be fantasy anymore. There's this element of, of harsh reality that's now been brought into the game. And I think that's really hard for um, specifically white players to understand is when you, when you create these races that are beneath and yet reflect reality, you're bringing reality into the game. Then it no longer gets to just be fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think some, if I'm going to throw out some very good, clear examples <laughs> um, of situations that I've dealt with, oh gosh, um, well, I guess I have two examples. The, the first on bringing unfortunate aspects of reality into a fantasy game is I've, um, I play a Wizard of Oz themed LARP um, that's very Ooh. steampunk and is set, um, the time period is set in the late 1800s to early 1900s. And there is a race of character um, called the, a changeling. And so they are cognizant intellectual animal creatures um, that have been, they would use the term domesticated. They are, these changeling animals are able to be a part of society. And for a long period of time, like and by a long period of time, I mean like from the inception of the game for at least like 15 to 20 years, a changeling was only allowed three-fifths of a vote in all town elections Oh, because they were a lower rank of citizen Oh, because they were just a domesticated animal. Mm. And so they only got three-fifths of a vote because that's what domesticated animals get. And so... I remember finding this out as a new player and it was like, oh, wow, that's a lot of levels of, I just got, I got pulled out of the game instead of me saying, oh, this is all fantasy. Suddenly this got very real and very uncomfortable because it just was, that's not fantasy anymore. That's, uh, that's, that's based on yeah, a very specific time in American history. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and specifically the whole, like a domesticated animal. Yeah. 
just that viewpoint that when you equate yeah. three fifths of a boat to a domesticated animal, all of a sudden there's so many layers to that. Yeah. If they're self-identifying as that too in the game, it's like, oh wow. Yeah. So, you know, as if, if you're a white player and it's like, oh, haha, you know, I'm, I'm playing as a lower race of being, but if you're a person of color and you're coming into it, that's, that's a, a character I could never play mm -hmm. because I can never put myself in a position where all of a sudden I am in a fantasy game, but I am being treated as a domesticated animal that gets three fifths of the vote and is a lower class citizen. Like that's too real. Yes. That's too real. And that's not fantasy anymore. Yes. Oh. You said you had another example too. Oh yes, I did have another. And I guess this will bring it um, more back full circle to the, the, topic that we're talking on it's about orcs and specifically tolkien's um and in the film um, lord of the Rings films representation of orcs um with the gross slimy black skin that they're created in and then they have um that visual portrayal of orcs has then spread into the mainstream or i guess the mainstream geek portrayal of orcs with black skin so that really leads to whenever people are cosplaying orcs or when game creators are writing um, outfitting requirements for orcs, a lot of the times they require orcs um, to have black skin, which then leads to a whole world of people doing casual fantasy blackface, um, especially when they see orcs that have black skin, but um, like pinker lips. Or, or the inside of pink lips that that some of the the orcs and lord of the rings would have i mean that's just that's menstrual that's that's yeah. classic menstrual wear mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's this is a requirement for live action role play games yeah which obviously has has so many issues with that but it's very common when you play a um, a race of character in a live action role play game that your race has specific costuming requirements i play like the immortal spirit of water in one of my games and so i have to have blue hair and ears um in some games if you play a a light elf then you have to have white or you have to have light hair and pointy ears. But if you play a dark elf, you have to have black skin, hmm. black oh. skin and, and a white wig. That hmm. is your costuming requirements. If you do not wear that, then you players won't know what race and skill set you have. So you have to wear um, hmm. black skin. You just, you, yeah. <laughs> So everyone has to do that. And it's very awkward to, to have friends that I meet through LARPing and then they tell me about their other characters and I see all these photos of them um, just with blackface on, just covered head to toe in black body paint. Mm. That's interesting because I don't know, like being quickly identified during LARPing seems like it'd be a useful tool but also that's not the way to do that <laughs> right like what about like a costume thing like black elves have to wear black clothing but not black face right like you don't have yeah. to go the entire let me paint myself route but you're just dressed in black long sleeves and black that covers your feet and then it's like oh they're just wearing a robe yeah well and the one of the main ways players of colors players of colors <laughs> players of color have pushed back on, on just very simple um, changes is they've tried to make dark elves gray body paint. How about mm. we use gray body paint instead sure. of black? You know, some, some games have done well with orcs and that the, the requirement for an orc is green body paint. Okay. It's something that makes it honestly more fantasy mm -hmm. and, and takes the reality out of it. But the irony with that is a lot of the core playership will push back and say, well, it's just a fantasy game. And orcs look like this in fantasy, you know, AKA Lord of the Rings and, and similar just have depicted orcs like this. And so people say, this is what an orc looks like. Why should we change it for people who are just sensitive to fantasy? Mm -hmm. Well, it's different when it's a choice that was made for racist reasons like you can't really deny when you find that there's a letter by tolkien saying he chose to make this depiction that's no longer just fantasy that's reality influencing fantasy that people are just choosing to ignore 
Exactly. There was a another part of this article that I really liked that kind of points out how fantasy um, can contribute to and create racism. Um, he writes, if you, if you find a way to scrub an explicit signifier from a racist expression, but keep the expression intact, you preserve the racist dynamic without the explicit identification. It keeps the content the same, but transform an aggression into a microaggression, which in polite society is actually worse than an aggression because it flies under the radar. First, colonizers came up with this theory of humans and not quite humans in order to justify narratives and policies of violence and dread towards natives. Then J.R.R. Tolkien reifies these narratives in Lord of the Rings, granting via Middle-earth a sheen of fantasy and respectability by swapping out Oriental or Mongol for Orc or Goblin. These tropes cascade to a new generation of fantasists whose joy is to embody their setting, and while they may not consciously understand or acknowledge from which deep-set biases their embodiment springs, nevertheless, they practice, in one of the realist senses available to polite society, to dehumanize intelligent beings imaginary beings, in fiction. Could anyone really learn behaviors from games which they express in real life racism? So basically, it's not just fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> this creates an interesting question to me where it's like, if there's such a heavy racist basis to different races in Tolkien and then these are perpetuated throughout time as people base things on this, even if maybe they don't realize it, is it still valuable to maintain these races as like standard player options? Do people have to know and understand the background for this and come to terms with that and still play these fantasy races when they know that it's based in historical racist depictions of these races? Yeah, well, I, I think that's such a good question. And ultimately what it makes me think of is only, and I don't mean to be harsh with saying only, but, but from my experience, it's really a white supremacist idea to have levels of race and, and citizenship or, or quality. So like having races be beneath the, another. Inherently, that's just a, a white supremacist idea. Mm -hmm. And so when you have these games, especially in fantasy, you see it prevalent where there are races that are beneath other, um, you know, classes of, of creatures that are just seen as second tier. And the only way to get around that is, is to treat people as equals mm -hmm. and, and to have that be in your fantasy world. But you have people who say, or who have read fantasy and they, they see that, oh, this is something that happens, what would happen if there is a race of people that was lower class or, you know, treated as less than, and it almost becomes this, this weird ability to play pretend with racism and class warfare. And when you think of that, that's, that's inherently really messed up. Yeah. <laughs> that you want to have this, this fantasy ability to, to play racist, but you have the mask of, this race isn't real. Mm -hmm. But what you really want to do is be racist in your game. You want to be able to be racially above others or have people be racially below you. Yeah. There's like the option of having a favored enemy in D&D &D as a ranger and like orcs are an option for that where it's like you're really good at tracking them and all this kind of stuff. And it's like you have this history with a whole race that is ultimately again that that kind of like racist just an excuse to be racist in a game <laughs> yeah and and that weird fascination and it's and this is why i i don't feel too bad saying that it, it definitely comes from white american slash white european culture yeah where you have this theory that when you're a second class citizen oh you know hating the top class is a character trait that that makes you strong mm -hmm. and and when you play a fantasy game and someone wants to be like oh i'm gonna be i'm gonna play this lower class citizen that hates this other race of people and they did this to me and blah 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 what they're really doing is they're they're taking a real life power dynamic and being able to play it in a fantasy sense mm -hmm. um and you know i don't feel like that's a a step away from being like oh yes i'm going to 
play a black person who wasn't able to go to a white school and and all my people were killed by white people and and so you know it's it's not far step away from that all you're really doing is adding fantasy races and and calling it good but what you're really doing is playing out this weird race fantasy that's really prevalent in fantasy well it does it does entrench and solidify this idea of that is how history and race interactions have to be there has to be this kind of class or racial divide because that's how it's always been so therefore it's okay and it's okay because we're just playing right it gives a veneer of respectability to something without actually saying no this is what happens in real life yeah it's a very western view because if you think of you know non-western cultures who never looked at you know, it wasn't often they would look at other people and say, oh, yes, you're beneath me because you're different. You know, you have so many cultures before colonization where they were open and welcoming to, you know, for lack of a better term, the other, you know, strangers with different backgrounds and histories and skin tones. And, you know, who who colonized most of the world <laughs> and said to assimilate it, it was Western culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I think a lot of uh, people who play RPGs want to have a simple story to tell and they think that it's not worth it to complicate, um, complicate a story by including different races as people. And I think that does a huge disservice to the opportunity that role-playing games have where you have the option of thinking about different fantasy races. And if they're based on something in the real world, then you could do your research there and see what those cultures are actually like or what their history actually is and maybe bring some pieces of that in there. I don't know. There's some options there, I think, that are could make a much more interesting and more complicated game that's more fun to play as different fantasy races if they have a whole background to it oh definitely i and i i agree with you in, in when you were saying people will, will do this to just have a nice simple game yeah. i feel like it's a common thought that making everyone equal is complicated or not fun <laughs> <laughs> that that when everyone's equal it's too nice and simple. And if you really wanted to make there be strife, then you have to have inequality. You have to have racism um, because that's the only way to tell a good story. When you say it out loud like that, it's like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one of my favorite things is, like you were saying, having people do research in other cultures if they're if they're going to have these games they're going to run these games and be players that they should do research and and learn their history and learn about these microaggressions and i've seen so many people be like oh well that's that's so much work this is just a game why would i do that much work for a game and at the same time i've seen people be like oh i made up my own language and and this very in-depth spell book that comes from these ancient norse runes <laughs> that i studied for fifty-eight thousand hours to create and it's like nerds are so willing to research things that they're interested in mm-hmm. and do all this depth and, and look at all this history for all this random stuff but there just seems to be this line in acknowledging race <laughs> like real life race and having to learn about that. Well, again, the things that they're researching are literal fantasy. It's like you're saying, it's a made up language. It's a spell book they created, but then they're not doing the research for the real life aspect of it. What's actually happening. Like they're still wanting to just be able to play a game. Yeah. But even then, you know, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because, wow, I've met so much hypocrisy in the nerd world I'm just realizing oh, no. right now. <laughs> um, just because I, I have a specific player in mind who wanted to play a priest um, and he was he was an atheist but he wanted to we were playing a post-apocalyptic game and he wanted to really tackle the apocalypse as a priest and so he literally went and did a bunch of research on being a catholic priest and what that entails and what the belief system is like and and all these things so he could really be true to the character 
And it's like, that's awesome. I've seen so many people dedicate themselves to, to doing research to really be true to these characters, but they just won't expand that to race. <laughs> they just, I don't know what the barrier is, but they just won't do it with race. I mean, in this podcast, even we've dealt with how much Tolkien spent on languages and how devoted he was to creating languages, but he just didn't do that research into different cultures at all. Even when he was basing races on them, he was like, I'll just take all the negative aspects that I've been told as an English soldier and uh, just apply that to them. So I don't have to work on that. And I can just invent another branch of Elvish instead. (laughs) with all that free time I gave myself. Well, it's, it's so, again, hypocritical is a good word for it. I will do research for some things, but then I'm just going to blatantly believe what this other thing has told me and not go do my own research on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like why, why be willing to do research for one thing and not the other? It's not, it's not a lack of time or desire to research. The act of researching. Right. The act of re- like, if you're going to go research how to be a Catholic priest when you're an atheist, then you will commit yourself to researching a lot, but yeah, <laughs> you should have to research everything. Well, and, and wow, I love we're just going to keep adding on the layers of hypocrisy, but I don't know about you, but I have met a lot of, of geeks and nerds that are willing to research like war and racist cultures and, and racist situations. You know, a lot of people know everything about the Civil War and how, how horrible and racist it was, but they won't learn the other side of how to not be racist. You know, everyone, you know, the amount of people that know everything about Nazi Germany and go into all these horrible things, but won't learn about how to be kind and empathetic to the Jewish culture and, and people. There's a really good book that I have just ordered, but I was reading an article on it, which is why I ordered it, um, called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And in it, he basically states, it's not enough to say that you're not a racist, but you have to be an anti-racist. And that means doing your research, speaking up, like not just capitulating and going along with it, with whatever racist things or microaggressions are happening, but then saying, I'm not a racist, you have to actively take, any, take stances against it. Otherwise you're participating in the racist system. Yes. If you don't mind, I'd love to share another one of my... Can I cuss? Yeah, yeah, you can cuss all you want. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Cool. Um, (laughs) We have the explicit time, we're good. (laughs) Yes. If you don't mind, I'd love to share another one of my really fucked up um, stories of dealing with race and and live action role playing. Absolutely. So this goes back to um, my Wizard of Oz themed LARP. That, I, that I've been playing in for the past couple of years. Like I said, the period of time for the LARP is from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And I want to say it's about 1860 or something like that to like 1907. I think that's the time period that we go in. And specifically, the reason that we have that time period is because in true Wizard of Oz fashion, um, we have storm riders, people from the U.S. who have been trapped in a storm and ended up in the world of Oz. Um, that's a type of player that you could be. And because of that time period, the American Civil War will come into play sometimes mm-hmm. where players will arrive in the, in the world of Oz from either the North or the South uh, being an American citizen during the Civil War. And there is a period of time where I was sitting in a room full of, you know, my friends and I'm a little river immortal i'm full magic i don't know anything about i'm not supposed to know anything about these wars you know i'm i'm playing fantasy mm-hmm. and someone comes into the room they're an npc so non-player character and they just start talking about how you know confused they are about the period of time and and storm riders can be from different times so one of my friends was from a different time and they mentioned something about the civil war And they just start talking about how much they hate the Civil War. You know, they hate the war that's going on. And then they say the phrase, why would I pick my own cotton when I can get a Negro to do it for me? Mm. And the response that the other players had in the room was not to say, hold on, let's stop playing. That was a fucked up thing to say, person. Um, But instead, they stayed entirely in game. And as their characters debated their feelings on slavery, 
and started talking about the economics of it, saying, well, you know, you're going to crush your economy if you have a free labor force and you get rid of it. And they, so they just start as if this is still all fantasy, talking about the financial, economic, and social implications of slavery from a white perspective. Did I forget to mention I'm the only person of color in this oh, room? God. Oh, God. And so there's this whole guise of it's just a game, but you're literally talking about racism. And it got to the point where I literally, I just got up and wa- I just walked out of the room. Yeah. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to play this game because that's not a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but then I'd always had difficulties with this player that said that statement. Um, mm-hmm. but, but they were all acting under the guise of, well, I don't believe that way, but I'm playing a character from the South during civil war times. So they thought that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's not fantasy anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard to get them to understand that that's not fantasy. And that's not the fantasy game that we're playing. Yeah. I feel like in that situation, well, in any situation, like where you're pulling in something that happened in the real world and debating it in character, especially something that pivotal um, (laughs) in American history, it'll throw you right out of the game. And it's not an opportunity for character building. It's an opportunity where you're going to make other people uncomfortable. And that is a thing that happens in role-playing games if you're a bad dm and a bad player is where you just make other people uncomfortable when the the ultimate irony that i always fight against when people say well it's just a fantasy game well if it's a fantasy game can't we live in a fantasy where the civil war just didn't happen where yeah. like yeah uh, the storm riders coming from america come from an equal america where there's not racism. If this is a fantasy game, we're just making this shit up a lot as we go, then like we could really make this so this just isn't a thing that we're dealing with. But when we're choosing to have elements of, of racism and classism and hatred in our games, then that's a conscious choice to add a layer of racism into the game mm-hmm. and call it acceptable. Yeah. It's like there's a desire for a certain amount of verisimilitude or like, oh, we're going to make this period accurate or something but it's like but this is a fantasy game you don't have to do any of that yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's been lots of lots of fun times I am at the same time I am very honored to have been a member of games in which there is a strong core group of people of color who played that game who are very well respected in the community and thus use their voice um to really edit game rules that they're like, hold on, we came and we played this game and this game rule was really fucked up mm-hmm. and, and could easily be changed. You know, I played games where slavery was an element mm-hmm. and, and it really was a, they could have just easily used indentured servitude. You know, it wasn't like a class of people or a race of people that were slaves. There were just some people that could be enslaved um, because they committed a crime or they're in debt or all of these things. But the fact that you have a game where players can be slaves and wear chains and not be allowed to vote, not have a say in what they do, and can also be punished publicly in any way that their slave owner sees fit, right? (laughs) So the face that you're being, it's like, yeah. My my absolutely disgusted (laughs) face. It's no longer, yeah, it's just, it's no longer a game at that point. It's, Anytime you bring that, any part of reality into it, you can no longer claim it's fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And maybe that should just be the disclaimer for, you know, often it's like anytime you bring, especially harmful elements of reality mm-hmm. into the game, you mm-hmm. can't claim that it's pure fantasy. And thus you can't be free of, of criticism on your racist elements. If you're going to have racist elements in, then you have to, you should be, very openly aware and just say, oh, yes, yes, this is a fantasy game with racist elements. That's just what I want to be doing. And no one's willing to admit that. And that's where the problem lies in. And if you were to admit it, then that's when change would start because people would realize that that's unacceptable. Yeah. It would force them to see that, the reality of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sounds like there needs to be a lot more of these kind of conversations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, I, 
<laughs> I'm like sitting here for a moment trying to be like, ah, gotta remember the reasons why I love fantasy. Must remember <laughs> the reasons why I love LARPing, all the good parts of why I love LARPing. Yeah. Do you want to talk about why you like LARPing? <laughs> Yes. Yay. Yeah. Because as as shitty and awful as the racist elements that just love to to pop up and appear in LARPing, there's this beautiful freedom when you do get true fantasy where I don't have to be limited as just being a black woman. And I think that's what makes it so hard when racism um just like pops its ugly head in a game because especially when I'm playing my, my water immortal, it's this period of time where I don't have to bear any of the chains of being a black woman. There's no limitations to what's expected of me. There's no limitations to what I can achieve. And there's also no limitations to the amount of like respect that is perceived for me. People don't have a, a certain limit to the amount that they're able to respect me. And there's also equally no limit to the way that people are able to find me attractive. I'm going to be really honest about that. Um, as a Black woman, people are very particular about the races that they find attractive. And um, Black women are very much typically at the bottom of that list. For women, it's being a Black woman is one of the least attractive races, quote unquote. Um, and for men, it's being an Asian man. And so when I'm able to play these, these magical characters, there's this inherent aspect of like beauty that comes from it, um, like beauty and respect and, and I'm capable and I'm a river immortal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, oh, you know, I'm just not into black chicks. Oh, <laughs> it's, there's this like, oh my gosh, here's this incredibly just like beautiful, magical being. And it's just this extra layer that I can embrace that just feels so fucking freeing mm. it's just I feel so beautiful in my costume and my blue hair and all of my sparkles um yeah <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of and not to like sidetrack completely but it reminds me a little bit of Sir Cupcake's Queer Circus and just like when someone is able to be in another like in a space that is 100% accepting of whatever and whoever you are how freeing that can be. Yeah. And what that makes you want to be. Yeah. Mm. You know, there's, there's that whole conversation about why representation in media is so important. And it's because, especially with fantasy, fantasy opens these doors for the imagination to really say, here's all these things you could be. And when you have racism and fantasy, it, it really means that that door is only open for white players. Um, and when you have, especially so like you were saying, Sir Cupcake's Queer Circus, that's this space where it's 100% acceptable and that just loves you however you show up, all of a sudden you can show up, the door swings open to like this unlimited possibilities that like I can be any level of like beautiful and badass and soft yet violent and capable. Like I can do whatever ever I want and no one's going to put a limitation on me and in a fucked up arbitrary way they're not going to say oh you know bringing it back to our main topic oh you're an orc so you're hideous you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah oh you're an orc so you have to be violent you can't be an orc and be soft mm -hmm. and and want to go to you know, magic school. You can't be an orc that wants to go to magic school. <laughs> you know, that like, yeah. when you have these limitations in the games, then it's like, oh, well, okay, fine. Like, you can't even ride a horse. You have to ride a warg. <laughs> like, like even, even their steeds are butchered and made into something violent and vicious. Mm -hmm. And it's the limits added onto it. Because that's really all it is, is we, as humans, created fantasy to imagine a world without limitations. But when you add racism in, you're literally creating limitations in your world that's not supposed to have them. Yeah, Fantasy can be so incredibly freeing and also very comforting. I've met a lot of players, myself included, that have used fantasy as a coping mechanism, which really means that, that they use fantasy as a way to work through something as, as an outlet. So something that I've done is, and I'm 
mostly I keep bringing up my my river character because that's the one that I play the most. My super hard ass post apocalyptic fighter. She's great, but she's also like mentally unstable, so it's not really helpful for me to talk about. Her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and like mentally unstable, and like her psychic powers are like fucking up her brain and making her like accidentally kill people. Okay, that's great. what I mean by mentally. That was like a fun, <laughs> fun character to play right there. But, but with my uh, with my river nymph. Um, my water immortal she's um a mediator and and something that her magic really forces her to have to do is she has to slow down she has to um take time multiple times a day to center herself with her water mm-hmm. and so that means like i have to go and and basically do these weird mixture of like yoga and i like because i'm a circus artist i have like hand fans and basically all these things that is very calming centering exercise and this really big attempt to not be angry or pick sides but just be calm and look at things rationally and that's very much like in my day-to-day life I am busy I am straightforward I don't have you know sometimes I can be very um cut and dry Mm -hmm. and empathy is is a practice that's very very important to me and I feel like empathy is a practice that you have to strengthen and by going to LARPs and by playing this like incredibly empathetic character is is a way for me to to practice strengthening my empathy practices and so a lot of people do some people have dealt with like their physical illnesses I've met a good amount of players who have some sort of disability especially if it's a um an invisible disability they will play a character that has a visible disability or or I've met people who play a character that that is sick and that's their way of working through how to still be, you know, feel respected and seen. And it's like, yes, this player, this character is dying from radioactive waste, but they're going to keep fighting on the front line until the very end. And we are going to grab them in and be like, we're going to give you your, you know, anti-toxic waste shot that'll <laughs> only give you a boost for this period of time but they're able to use this fantasy kind of lens to still feel included and respected. You know, people who have to take insulin during a game or, or have these limitations during a game are able to put a fantasy spin on it that empowers them. Mm-hmm. You know, people have played their insulin shot as like, this is a power boost. And, and then all of a sudden they're like very respected. You know, they get that shot of insulin and it's like, ah, yes, like you are ready to go fight right now. I'm a little afraid of you with how powerful you are, you know? And that's, that's the power of fantasy that I absolutely fucking love. That sounds so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us, Kimberly. This is an awesome <laughs> conversation. And now I want to go LARP. This sounds so I know, right? I'm just like, well, how can I get into LARPing? Please come it. join. Ooh. You know, as much as I hope I didn't talk too much shit about my Wizard of Oz LARP. Because, <laughs> uh, because while there have been like, you know, there are problems with everything. It is, um, it's one of the friendliest LARPs, especially when it comes to new players. Um, there's not really a class system that, you know, some games it's hard to be a new player where you just have such limitation and everyone can outpower you. Mm-hmm. But the the world of Oz, Oz LARP is very friendly to new players. We love them. We welcome them. And it's a lot more about role play than fighting. Yeah, And That's it's fun. just so silly. So it's so fucking silly. <laughs> um, if you don't mind me going on one last tangent, yeah, just to go. Just to do what I feel like I have to do some justice. I have to, yeah. I have to talk about something really great and hilarious about that game, which is that um, there was a period of time where we were at war with the gnomes. The gnomes had, had decided that they declared war on us because we didn't let them build an embassy in our town and, and they hated us. And the thing with gnomes is, um, one, they will only talk to the person who wears the tallest hat gnomes that's that's the rank of command for a gnome is the taller the hat the more important you are so whenever we were doing peace talks or trying to do peace talks we had to find the tallest hat that we could ever get um for them to like respect the person talking and the second thing is that gnomes are either deathly allergic or deathly afraid of eggs oh so when when they refused to be peaceful with us we realized that our greatest um defense weapon was chicken eggs (laughs) <laughs> and where can you get chicken eggs but other than chickens? Well, in the world of Oz, chickens are a, um, they're people. Mm-hmm. 
chickens are, are changelings are people. Um, so we needed to go make a trade agreement with some chickens. And they said, you know what? If you let us open our shop in your town, you can have as many eggs as we produce. And the town voted and we said yes. And, and after we said yes, we asked what, um, what type of business will they have in town? And they said, oh, a brothel. <laughs> chicken brothel. <laughs> There's a chicken brothel um, oh lovingly named the Cluck and Fuck. <laughs> I want to go there. That's where I want to go when this is all said yes. and done. End of pandemic. Let's go to the clock and fuck. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, was my, pint. <laughs> but that was one of my favorite things was people would like, we would play and we would lovingly be like, oh, yeah, don't forget to stop by, you know, the clock and fuck. You know, you got to get those eggs made to support the war effort. You know, if you want to support the war effort, you have to go and patron the clock and fuck. And, and they were lovely, lovely hens. <laughs> we, we made great friends with them. One of them was a brilliant opera singer. Uh, lovely. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so, so the, the, see, that's my favorite kind of fantasy. The fantasy that's just like, you know what? This is fucking ridiculous. And we're going to take it in all seriousness and, and have a ton of fun with this. Like, yes, play an operatic <laughs> prostitute chicken. Yes with like complete respect and autonomy like we held so much respect for all of the all of the hens that worked at the cluck and fuck they were not second class citizens <laughs> they were beautiful changelings that were greatly respected and needed for the war effort without them we would be entirely defenseless and i love that yeah. like yes let's fucking do that's it that's amazing that's <laughs> absolutely amazing so moral of the story if you're ever interested it's a very fun game um and and there's a lot of work to to fix some of the, you know, time, things don't age well. And once you realize that something doesn't age well, um, there's a really beautiful playership that's determined to, to support everyone and, and get those things out of the system. So, yeah. so come join. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been thank an awesome so conversation. Much, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for inviting me. This was a ton of fun. Yeah. I'm glad. And thank you for listening to Finding the Glitter and the Golds. You can find us wherever you download podcasts and you can contact us at uh, glitterinthegold at gmail.com and wherever you get your podcasts, if you could uh, take some time to like us, rate us, review us, subscribe, all of that, um, suggest us to your friends. And um, again, thank you for listening. See y'all on the Shire side.